welcome back to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Foster. Foster has was a drug addict from five until fifty. Five. Um, not because he wanted to be, because it was forced upon him. So I will just say there's a lot of trigger warnings for child abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assault. You know, early drug use. Um, if, you, if you think about it, it, it's in there. It, it's a, you know, really extremely raw story that he wanted to tell. Um, you know, we're going to get into it, but just know, like, when we talked, he was at, like, 13% heart function from congenital heart failure from all the years of meth. <clears throat> so just know some of those things going in. It's, you know... It's a tough one, but it's one that needs to be told. Welcome to the show, Foster. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me. Okay. Uh, you're you're in recovery. Um, how long have you been in recovery for? Uh, let's see. I don't count days, so it's about been about eleven months. Okay. Yeah. Forty six years of addiction. Forty six years of addiction. Wow. How old are you now? Don't mind me asking. I'm fifty one. Fifty one. So you started real early. Yeah, five years old is when they started me. When they, so you can, well, let's, let's get into it. Um, okay. five, five years old, what's going on? Um, uh, stepdad and, uh, aunt were molesting me and giving me dope to, uh, keep me quiet. And I find out later after I got into recovery that my, uh, my stepdad and them, they were also doing a satanic worship in the basement with me. After I got clean, I kind of started, you know, rolling back the reel and remembering crap. And uh, I remembered a room and stuff, and, and I talked to uh, my mom, not my mom, but my sister and them, and yeah, they were doing rituals. So. And that's, where where are you at? You're in Chicago, Chicago. like you said. Okay. And born and raised? Uh, yeah, this area. I lived down south for a long time. Okay. Yeah. That's where that was happening. It was down south? No, that was happening uh, probably 45 minutes from me. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you never know where that's happening. That, that kind of stuff's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right in our, right in front of Pretty us a intense. lot of the time. Yeah, and it, and you said like you know you start remembering things when you get sober. It's true. Like you start going back through, like the, playing the tape back, yeah, and try to yeah. figure out like where did this really start? How did it, I lost control at some point? But where did it? And then you start going back. And did you have? Was that like in therapy where you started realizing? No, I uh, I actually didn't go. I haven't gone through any therapy. Any tra- well, I went through treatment like five times, but not this time. <laughs> okay. And well, what happened was is I started writing for a group on Facebook, and uh, I just I was still using. I was definitely diehard deep in my active addiction, and uh, I just one day I just said fuck it, and I just started typing and I started sharing everything, you know, and. It was for me. It wasn't for anybody else. I didn't do it for uh, out of boys or sympathy. I just wanted to get it out, and I did it. I thought it was going to be safe on Facebook um, through that group, and so I did. And people just started responding. Well, things kind of started coming out. I didn't get clean till probably a month after I started writing, and uh, people started responding and saying, "Hey, you know, we we get what you're saying. You're raw, you know." And so they started asking me for help. Well, it's kind of hypocritical to be using. And, you know, I knew I knew all of the the, the lingo, 
Yeah. Because I, my stepdad was an addictions counselor, and he, uh, not the same one. My mom was married five times. Okay. Okay. I knew all the lingo, so I could talk all the talk in the middle of my writing, and I could BS anybody, you know. Um, but as a man and who I am, I couldn't, I couldn't sit there and yeah keep doing it, you know. So I got yeah, you, yeah, that's good. Because then you almost, it's almost like you got clean because you were realizing helping others was making you feel good, but it wasn't making you feel good to help others knowing that you weren't completely helping yourself first, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's hypocritical, you know. That I hate, I hate a liar and I hate a hypocrite. So. Yeah, and if you're if you see yourself being one, then yeah, best thing to do is change it up. Yeah. That's you know, I can commend you for that. So like. Five years old, you're getting doped up, but when do you start like doing it yourself because you want it? Uh, probably about ten. Ten. Yeah. It, it was yeah. that readily available in the house, or oh, readily? Yeah, well, my my parents, my mom and my stepdad at the time were swingers, and okay. there was dope parties. I mean, it was free. he was a biker, and and uh, I mean, I remember um, I I'd get up in the middle of the night, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, my mom would be in bed with multiple people, and you know there was. Uh, coke all over the pin, pinball machine and you know it was just nuts so it yeah. was always available i learned really quick after they were giving it to me uh that it covered up pain you know yeah that's what i was gonna ask next like when did you start using it to like escape like so it was pretty fast i'm sure that you were starting to realize how much pain you were in every day yeah are you going are you going to school during this yeah this is i mean i'm as all my addiction, I functioned just like, I mean, I'm sure some people knew it, like you would probably know it, you know, I would know it if somebody else, but I, I did, I functioned all throughout my childhood on dope. I mean, I probably did more cocaine at 10 years old than most men do, yeah. you know, and uh, I remember getting in the stash, my older brother was getting fed by uh, my stepdad as well, and so I'd get in his stash, he'd punch a hole in the wall, put a poster over it, you know, and then I'd dip in there and I'd get whatever I wanted. So, yeah, it was, I was in school. I was, we were getting abused. You know, it was back in the 70s. People didn't fuck with your family then. No, so they weren't like asking questions about the home life back then. No. You know, it's because of home life like yours that now they ask questions. Right, right. You know, I, mean, I went to school tons of times with bruises and beat, you know, and, and they just didn't say nothing. What happened in your home stayed in your home. And, uh, and you got threatened at home, you know, we don't talk about this shit out there, you know? Yeah, I'm glad, like, you know, the quote, snowflakes exist now for us to be able to ask my kid, you know what I mean? And make sure the kid's good at school and make sure that we get the information and make sure that, like, he knows he could talk to anybody. You know, we co-parent and all that and we make sure he's open, you know, because, like, you know, they need to be talking about this. You don't know yeah. what's going on. And, right. you know. And then next thing you know, you're spinning out and no one's even paying attention. And then you feel like you can keep on doing it. Like you said so far, brother, did you say a sister too? Yeah, I have a sister as well. Are you like the youngest or the oldest of three? I'm the, I'm the middle. My, uh, my oldest and my, my oldest brother and my sister are uh, half. So they would go to their parents or, you know, her, their dad during the week. And every once in a while on the weekends, they'd be with us. So, you know, they they weren't involved in all that. My little brother, he never got hurt. Thank God, you know, um, yeah. and he never did drugs. And I would beat that shit out of him. If I seen him with drugs, I really would. I hated it. You yeah. know, he'd try to show up when we were older and at parties I was at, and I would just go off, you know, but 
Well, were you the one, like, did your friends at school know that, like, you were getting high? You know, when I got a, became a teen- teenager, I became very popular because I'm you the one knew. who was dope. Yeah, you know? that's what I mean. Yeah. But uh, when you say dope, do you mean heroin or do you mean coke? Because back in, you know. Crank. Crank, okay. Yeah. Meth. I was doing, I was doing speed, um, white crosses and stuff. That's, we get them from them because the bikers, you know. And they were making yeah. bathtub crank all the time back then. Oh, I was going to say, whenever you say crank, I know it comes from a biker gang. And I know it's not coming from, like, just a regular street dealer. Like, right. you know, yeah, I know that terminology. Nice yeah, know. like, I've done a lot of different drugs. And meth's actually not one of them. Meth and speed and um, heroin are the ones I, and crack are the ones I didn't do. I was really into pills. And, but, like, I have a sponsee who grew up around same kind of situation as yours almost. Like, he was eight when it happened. And growing up around the pagans and shit, you know, where we are. And, yeah, like, he was, meth was 15 to 31. And now he's got. South Florida. We're in the Florida area. We're in PA, bro. New York. Oh, no, we're in the mountains in PA. In the middle of nowhere by, like, the Poconos and shit. Like, we're in the middle of nowhere. So it's like meth. You know, you always read about houses exploding in our area. So you know what that means when the houses just explode out of nowhere. Huh. Yeah, just all of a sudden, boom. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder what that. Wonder what gas you were leak. doing. Yeah, gas leak. Plenty yeah, of trailer trap homes. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what his thing was. And now he's got three months, most time yeah. since he was a teenager. You know. That's cool. But you know, same kind of idea as yours, though. Like where it was all just a regular thing. You know, yeah. and mom, different husbands, and different things, different boyfriends, and you know, we call them. Uh, my wife has the same thing with her mom was different people all the time. And, and what does she call it? Like serial monogamous, I think she calls it where like, she always had to have like a boyfriend. Yeah. That's where my mom was. And you know, back then in the sixties when it became popular to get divorced. So by the seventies, by the time I was born, you know, I was born in 1970. She had, she'd already on a third husband, you know? So, yeah. and I love my mom. So, you know, I'll never bad mouth her. She passed away now, but she uh, she changed her life. And I, I realized as an adult that uh, she was just in self-preservation mode. You know, she was getting beat the shit out of I mean, I watched her get beat all the time. And, yeah, you know, it's... And she survived. got older, she changed her ways, and, you know, she used what she went through to help others, too. So... That's amazing. I'm sure by the time she got sober, you were like really in the thick of it, though, and just not ready. Right. Is that what it was? Yeah. I mean, it was too late. That's like around 13 is when my stepdad, who I call dad, uh, came into my life. He was a drug and alcohol counselor. And by the time he hit me, you know, came in to my family, it was too late then at 13. I was so far. I mean, there was no control. in me. He tried, but I was already I was leaving out on the streets i was selling drugs got busted for selling drugs at 13 you know it was yeah that's i'm sure he could family. see it right i'm sure he could have seen it i'm sure I, he I got, was able to let me see turn this up because i can't hardly hear you no that's fine there we go but i'm sure he was able to notice what was going on though like oh, a drugs yeah, and addiction he counselor right yeah he knew right away he'd sit at the table with me and just stare at me and i'd be like what the you know and he's like eyes are the window of the soul you know and he'd stare at me for hours trying to get me to talk to him, but I wouldn't. I was, you know, I was beat, molested after the aunt and uncle, or the aunt and uh, stepdad. Then I had a, another guy, Mom Mary, doing it immediately for three years. It was just like I had a target, you know? 
I think there's like a vulnerability thing almost from what I've heard from people because it didn't happen to me. But like from what I've been hearing from people I talk to all the time, it's almost like you have that like secret and it's like your eyes are the windows of the soul and it's almost like you're hiding something and the predators pick up on that. It's like a scent. I don't know. I think it was, you know, I really had a real good relationship with my mom. I really loved her. It's kind of distorted when I was a kid. And I think that's because she was beat and I was always trying to protect her, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not even your job, you know, no. at that age, you but know, it it's, was they threaten my mom. Yeah. You know, they say, if you, if you tell your mom, we're going to hurt her or whatever. And so I guess, I don't know. I was trying to help her. Yeah. Cause you don't want her to get hurt. Cause you've seen her already get hurt. And now, you know, all you have to do is tell this secret and she's definitely going to get hurt. Yeah. You know, that's a lot for, you know, somebody to even deal with, even if they were in their 20s and had a full mind about them to try to figure it out, let alone a, barely a teenager right. or a 10-year-old. Um, so, like, when you when you left at 13, you got arrested at 13, you said, for a rehab? Popped in school for selling uh, pills, you know. And then, then that principal pulled me in the office and freaking strip searched me naked alone. That you know what I'm saying? So it was like, here I go again. And yeah. It was, you know, yeah. I mean, I've never actually been in jail. Never been arrested. My, uh, at 13, I met my real dad for the first time. He was a biker and, uh, one of the biggest cooks in our area. For meth. And he, that he, he shot me up with meth the first time. And, uh, was trying to teach me the family business, you know? And he always told me, he said, if, if, uh, he said, you're going to be a criminal. He said, I'm a criminal. Your grandpa's a criminal. Everybody's a criminal in our family. He said, but be a smart one. And uh, I never seen him spend a day in jail. I never see him uh, go to work one time. But he always got a check from a construction company every week. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah. it's actually, I think it's because mom's prayers and my grandma's prayers. It's not because I was smart, you know. Definitely wasn't a smart criminal, but always was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you were smart enough to, you know, have, like, your head on your shoulders while you were doing things, probably, it sounds like. Like, you would, everything you did, you thought out. And I had other people doing the footwork. Oh, okay, I see. Oh, well, geez. because, yeah, I mean, if you're 13 and you're already bringing, you know, drugs into school, then you're going to be king shit to anybody your age. And they're going to be like, what do you need, Foster? I can do it for you. I just want to be part of your circle. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're accepted by people, right? Yeah, every 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 uh, click in school. Yeah. You know. yeah, and what 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 were the pills back in the '70s that people would be buying in school back then? Because I was today it's Christmas, Christmas trees, little speed, they're green, uh, green, greenies with white and green beads in them. I don't know. Yeah, they're speed. Okay, speed. yeah, I've heard of like the expression greenies um, as speed before. So it's yeah. probably what it, what the same kind of thing is where it was on a TV show, you know, nothing that was like real life. It was just like, you know, a bullshit. Yes, <laughs> and it was actually a show, Psych. It was the uh-huh. show. Um, and yeah, like the baseball team, they found greenies for one of the players. Like they called them greenies and it was speed. Yeah. So that's the only time I really heard that. Like I heard of Red Devils. Yeah, we just call them Christmas trees. Uh, okay. They were, they were speed. And I was getting them from a stepdad, and I was, you know, selling them by the handful, so. That's, uh, that's yeah, because now you're go- walking into school. Did you go back to school after that? 
Yeah, I went back to school till I was I, I I left school. Well, I got kicked out of school when I was sixteen, and uh, well, was, thirteen you went to rehab, right? Yeah, thirteen I went to rehab, and then I started doing outpatient rehab, and I was getting a tutor, and so I wasn't back in school for that year, uh, and then I you know um, I went back again at I don't know fourteen, fifteen, something like that, and I was kicked out the next year. Selling drugs again or fighting? Well, uh, it was it was that, and you go to school. Well, they took attendance the first period of every day, and after that, they didn't take attendance. So I'd go to first, I'd go to first period, and once they took attendance, I'd bail, you know. And I did that like I don't know three quarters of the year until they popped me, and they popped me because they found me with dope in my locker, and uh, then they realized, hey, he hasn't been to school all this time. Yeah, then I was gone. So, and that's when I went to rehab again the second time. Were you getting anything from these rehab stays? No, because honestly, most of them at that time were uh, new. Uh, what norms? You know, normies. They uh, weren't ex addicts, and I could bullshit them, and I could manipulate them and it- get everything and everything. <laughs> Because the rehabs back like in the eighties, they were still like a newer thing, and so it was run by people with you know doctorates, yeah. yeah, people with degrees, and now they're being ran by people with degrees that are also in recovery, right. where they're they're gonna smell that bullshit when you walk in, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like my third time when I found those people. You know? <laughs> did it make a big difference when you did find those people when they're like, oh shit, they're they're seeing right through me. Well, I know it made a difference while I was in there because, you know, I couldn't BS them, but it didn't ever make a difference until I had to want to quit, you know? Yeah, you, and that's what I was telling and somebody I'm before. I'm dying, so, from, from my drug use, so it was, that helped with it, you know what I mean? Did you say you're dying? Yeah, I've got congestive heart failure at the last stage. Um, I just, right before we, I started this, I had to do a breathing treatment so I could talk this whole time. Um, I may seem a little jittery. That's what it's from. Damn. I'm sorry. Is that uh, from the meth? Yeah, it's from shooting up for 36 years. Yeah, because I heard there, you literally can get like a layer of crystal over like some of your organs. Is that what's like happening basically? Like no, my left, the left part of my heart is just dying. It's at 13% function right now. Um, and uh. I, got, I was using dirty needles, never shared with anybody, but I was using my own needles over and over. Yeah. And it, sepsis, you know, I still have sepsis. Um, I have to do uh, antibiotics every single day. So. So yeah. when did you find out that you were sick? Was it still an addiction or was it in sobriety that you're like, I better go see a doctor? It was still an addiction. I, uh, the thing that happened, I was at a buddy's and I just started feeling like I was drowning. And so I drove to the hospital and. And uh, congestive heart failure lets the fluids, it won't go, the left side pushes all of everything into your kidneys and all that stuff. Well, mine won't let that happen. It does it very slowly. So it, all the fluid stuff fills up in my lungs. And I literally can drown if I don't set up straight or lay down, you know, when I'm in bed, like I can't, I can't sleep flat. And okay. So I went in there and they, you know, I have the heart of an 82 year old at 51. So, and, uh, you know, there, I just have to wait for it to die. I had a pacemaker 
and a defibrillator, but uh, they had to take it out because of the sepsis. It attacked it. And I have to. I have to ask. Did you like? Did you just say like, "Oh fuck it, I'm just gonna keep using until I die," and then eventually change your mind? I, I, I ten minutes after I had my heart surgery, I was in my garage shooting up. I okay. Home from my heart. Yeah, I was banging away. I mean, yeah. Just freaking been in the hospital for a month was not, you know, literally gonna die. They saved my life. Ten minutes later, I'm banging. Were were you in like you had to have been in some crazy psychosis for a month in in like a hospital bed without getting high? Oh yeah, I I went uh, what's it called against medical advice multiple yeah. times. My IVs out, I'd get up and I'd start walking out and go. I'd come home. I mean, and they call and have the sheriffs come out here and uh, try to do a wellness check on me and talk me into coming back. And yeah, it was crazy. It really was. I mean. It's a long time to do meth, you know. Especially, yeah, all day, every day, because like you said, like you weren't into it to be like a family business. So you weren't holding down regular nine to fives during this time. Were you just selling the entire time? No, I actually what I did hold nine to five. I was one oh. of the managers at one of the largest refineries in the country. Yeah, I did. I was making six figures. Yeah. And just um, able to maintain your habit because you were making good money. I set, well, and I set rules, you know, I set rules. I did it a certain way every morning. I got up, I did this thing. I went to work. I came home, did whatever I was going to do. Then I went to sleep. I slept every night, you know, um, I'm not saying it didn't ever cost me. anything. cost me a lot, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I, but I also was in an organization like what we were talking about earlier, that I was getting kickbacks and fed through that way too. I never did take over the family business. I never wanted it. That's I had good. To, I went out and milked the cow for him is what we called it, sucking anhydrous from tanks. But I never did, uh, as an adult, never did do that. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. But 25, it, 25 years for an ounce of dope does not entice me. Is that is that that's why you didn't want to get into it? It's because you didn't want to get caught up and go to jail for it. I not just, when you could have a job. I don't. I didn't like the. To me, even though I needed it, I didn't like the dirtiness of it. You know what I mean? I didn't let scumbags come to my house every night, all throughout the night. I didn't let you know. Now, I'm not talking like a normal. I don't know how you want to say it. This there's, yeah. There's, there's a difference between a a, a, a a user and a freaking tweaker, you know what I mean? Where he's up all day and he's freaking doing this through the blinds and all over the place. You see him on YouTube where they're acting stupid and weird. Yeah. Um, I just didn't let them people around me. You know, bikers don't do it that way. They're not yeah. allowed. You were isolating. You wanted to be. Uh, you were. You wanted to be in your own environment with right. control. Your, yeah. Because you were making all these rules, and I, I was a functioning addict for over 10 years, you know, doing pills almost every day. Mm-hmm. So I know about the rules thing. I know how you have to set rules for yourself to remain functioning and to remain, you know, on the up and up to everybody else. Right. Um, you, have, you have to still have to. I mean, I, I had in that job, I would wear $1,000 suits, and I'd have, you know, freaking meetings and dinners with people from across the Middle East that had come over. And so I had to present myself the correct way, you know. Um, I guess that makes me a hypocrite, but 
But no, no, I mean, not really. You, just, you know how to wear a mask. That yeah, that ain't no bullshit. Um, but where were you shooting then? Because like usually people had problems with shooting uh-huh. everywhere. Everywhere, okay. But you were wearing long sleeves all the time to be able to hide it. I'm I, well, I'm just scarred up, you know. Oh I'm, yeah, it's sure. You have all the tattoos. My, my feet, my hands are scarred, and I got tattoos all over. So yeah, that definitely helps. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure when it comes to like any kind of track marks, you would have had. Um, well, I got track marks. I got, yeah, you can see, I mean, not, I don't have them now, but I got scarring. Yeah. You, know, you can look at my arm and tell that I, I'm an ex junkie. Yeah. The hospital, they know, you know. So. Is, it, is it easier for them? Is it easier for you now for them to know? Like, does it bother you that they know now? I tell everybody and everybody that wants to hear my story, my story. Yeah, me too. I don't. I tell, and my doctors have got to know because when I first went in with my heart doctor, I was still using, and I told him I was using, you know, um, my doctor, my heart doctor, thank God believes addiction as a disease, not a choice. Um, I have been, I've been, you know, treated like shit all the time because I'm an addict Yeah. and they don't care if you're an ex addict or a new addict, they just don't like them, you know? Yeah. So, but I still tell them. So. Yeah, I mean, so because you were just being honest, at least, you know, about what you were doing. And I'm sure he wasn't even used to that because, like you said, there is a difference between, like, a functioning addict and a tweaker when it comes to, you know, speed and meth. Because I've seen the difference firsthand, you know, where that person is the most paranoid person in the world. And you're just trying to maintain a day-to-day while using it, what you call as a medicine. Right. Well, yeah. and it- me, it was a part of life. It was just something I had done ever since I was 13, you know, and I'd been doing drugs before that. So to me, being sober and clean is fucking totally odd. I, 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 I still, to this day, I don't know how to do it. I, yeah. I, have no, I mean, I don't. I, I get emotions that I have no clue what they are. And that, that sounds stupid, but it's true, you know, um, because everything for me back then was anger. I was pissed off at every, I get happy, I'm angry because I don't understand why I'm happy. So I get pissed off. I was pissed off at the world. And, uh, and I mean, if I didn't know how to be with a woman, right? I didn't know how to make love, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, I could tag him and bag him all night long, but I, I didn't know how to treat him. You know? Yeah. Everything was twisted. So getting clean and, and, my wife overdosed um, upstairs in my bed. Um, hasn't even been a year. It will be October 10th. And uh, yeah, I didn't know how I didn't know how to treat my wife. You know, it was. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get like emotional, but no, you're no. I want you to. I need you to like actually feel it's okay to feel all the feelings that's the cool thing now you know before it was like you know trying to stuff down and trying to escape you know what i mean and like when when really being a humanist you're you're supposed to feel all these things we were just escaping them because that's all we knew for a long time i started drinking at 11 so when the first person i knew died at 12 i escaped i'm like oh i'll get drunk about it it'll make me feel better so, like, any time I had emotions through puberty, adolescence, teenage years, 20s, all my 20s, I was getting higher, getting drunk about it. 
Well, my, I was engaged. My fiance, a childhood best friend, she took her life. She was bipolar, schizophrenic, and an alcoholic. And I spiraled. You know, I didn't know how to handle it. And now I do. And now I know to sit in the feelings, to sit in the pain, it will pass. And it's, you know, almost like your brain is a muscle. People just don't think of it as a muscle because you don't see it like you do your biceps. But like, and talking about this shit is like going to the gym, man. And it makes me feel better about it. It makes me accept it easier. And it makes it easier for me to live knowing that I can't change what's happened. I can live with it. And every time it comes up, I get through it easier because I'm building that tolerance, that strength to get through those pains that do come and go whenever I think of her or talk about her. So like, yeah, it's, that's a good thing that, you know, feeling that feeling is a good thing that we were trying to escape for so long as feelings. Cause we didn't know how to process them. Yeah. She, uh, we had, uh, I had been clean eight days when she, when she passed, I didn't even know she had a drug problem. She, uh, and I didn't know she relapsed. Um, because I was so caught up in my own shit, you know what I mean? But I, I yeah, eight days clean and, and and I didn't relapse. I don't remember. I remember going up. I heard a thud. I remember going upstairs an hour later after I thought it was my dog jumping down, you know? Yeah. And I uh, went up there and she was blue, you know, she'd do fentanyl. And uh, so... I did the the thing that every drug addict would do and cleaned up the dope before I called the cops, you know. But I don't know if I uh, could have saved her, but I lost her. You know, I, we talk, We were talking about my heart. In 07, my little brother was killed in the war. And uh, my natural, my blood brother, you know, he, uh, and he was like my heart. We were together every day. We owned a business together. I think that's when my heart actually started dying when I lost him. And then my stepdad, who was like my sponsor and uh, mentor, even though I was using, you know, I, I, I respected him because he'd been 38 years clean and, and he was good to my mom and he was good to us. And then I lost him and then lost Ange um, up stairs then. And then a month later, I lost my mom to COVID. So. Where do you think you got, like, you, like, that's a lot to go through early in sobriety, obviously, especially when you're not really, like, going to meetings because COVID's running rampant. So it's not like you could even go to meetings, even if you wanted to. Yeah. So, I mean, was the writing your escape to, like, get that all out when they both passed, like, back to back? I think so. You know, I'd already been writing. I had already been writing for like a month, you know, and yeah. I had a lot of shit and people were responding. And, and um, when she, when she overdosed, I held on to that one. I didn't say nothing. I'll be honest with you. I went blank for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks or whatever on online. People were wondering where I was, but, um, and I didn't speak about her at all because I couldn't. Um, Without, what could you have said, you know, at well, that point? I take my own life during it. I still, I still don't go up in my room. My sister cleaned out the stuff that I have up there, and uh, I live alone. I live out in the country. Um, 
and I don't let anybody in her room, that room. I, I can't go in there. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, her parents hate me. Ooh. Yep, mine, my, uh, my ex's parents hate me. I wasn't even at her funeral. Yeah, you know. I, well, I had I, I. There's there's so many things you know. I sound like. I sound like I'm full of shit. Even when I listen to my own self talk about my. I don't think you sound like you're full of shit. No, nobody, nobody could make up the things you're saying. <laughs> but I also, you know, during this whole time, I became a minister. And I, you know, and I would share my story all over the country. And I'm telling people to find God, and I'm high as a kite. One of my best friends and closest brothers has a, ch a church in Indiana, and he it's a biker church. And the last time I spoke publicly was in front of 7,000 people, higher than shit on meth. And that's when I said, I'll never do this again, you know? So there's just so many things that... I think addicts, this, you know, I'm going to get off kilter here a little bit, but you'll go, go for it. in here in a second. Yeah. I think addicts are special fucking people. I think addicts were born to be life, to be world changers and to be, to be life changers for people. And I think the devil knew it. And I think he started trying to kill us before we were fucking born by our parents and the parents before. And all my life, just like probably your life, I've had, been nothing but chaos like i've been trying to be killed you know what i mean i i've been shot i've been stabbed i've been freaking molested i've been beaten and i think he knew that we were going to be fucking mighty people and imagine where you'd be today or i'd be today if we never used we'd probably be like fucking diplomats I presidents or einstein you know what i mean or I'd be the most boring motherfucker that's, you know, with a kid that, you know, just goes to his nine to five job and has no purpose in life and feels and, lost. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah, I feel like I learned a lot of life lessons that I shouldn't have had to learn, but either way had made me a stronger person now. You I know, don't, I don't, I don't uh, regret anything that happened in my life. Like, you know, neither do I. Everything I learned, I needed to learn and led me to right, the, right here in this conversation. You know, the uh, one of my really good friends, we got sober at the same time. And, you know, he he relapsed six months later, right? So we got six-month chips. And he died on his relapse because it was fentanyl. And, you know, I always say it's a lesson I didn't need him to teach me. But nonetheless, he did. You know, and it's he died so I could live, you know. And it's just the truth of life at this point because he was literally the most intelligent person I've ever met. He could speak to any topic intelligently and actually know what the fuck he's talking about. Right. That doesn't happen often. And he didn't get A's in school because he was intelligent, not smart. There's a huge difference. Big difference. <clears throat> and addicts were intelligent. You know, my grandmom used to always say, even when I was in addiction, like, you're too smart for your own good. You can't get the fuck out of your, she didn't say fuck, but you can't get out of your own way. I always heard the fuck part because I knew that she wanted to say it because she'd be always mad at me for it. But she's like, you can't get out of your own way. You're too smart for your own good. And I never really knew what that meant until I started talking to other people in recovery to realize, like, oh, we all are, like, just highly intelligent, but we're, we all just couldn't get out of our own way. Right. That's we true. could help others, like you said. We I could help. But I can help you all day with your problems, but I can <laughs> fix mine. 
There was a I got had a guy on a Wednesday, Kelly. He's a biker. You would actually like the interview because like he was growing up going to bikers and all that shit and the punk rock and all that in the 80s. And he was part of a biker gang that was actually would go down to San Diego and help people get into rehabs. Meanwhile, he was high as shit, you yeah. know, while bringing the people in. And the entire time, the president of their gang who was in recovery kept saying, like, when are you going to stop fooling yourself? When are you going to be honest with yourself, Kelly? When are you going to get your head out of your ass? Like, and he was like, had no idea. He thought he was pulling a wool over everyone's eyes, you know. But everyone knew that he was still high. And, yeah. We think we're fooling everybody, but really we're fooling. Yeah. So did your mom get to at least see you sober before she passed? Talk to you sober? Um, like to know that you were sober and you stopped? Or is it not something that you publicly announced because you were afraid of relapse? The last bit of my life, the last time of my uh, mom's life, I kind of isolated away from her. And I think it's because I was, because of my heart, you know, I was sick. And she would, she would grieve because I was sick. She'd already lost her other son, or, and I just could see the sadness on her when I was around her, you know. And uh, the last time I saw my mom um, was I broke through security at the hospital. I mean, I, I, I fucking, they said you can't go in. It's COVID, blah blah blah. And I went through them, and I went got to her door, and she looked at me and went, you know, stop. And uh, they said, you can go around and talk to her outside. The window was on the first floor. And I just said, I love you, Ma. And uh, she had a stroke next day or something like that. And it took out everything. And she lasted six minutes after we took her off the ventilator. So Mom didn't get to know that I was sober. But she knows now. You know, depending on whatever you believe in. You know, I'm a spiritual I, person. I'm not a religious person. Me neither. I'm uh, a person. You're what? I'm a godly person, not a religious person. Yeah, I mean, I always say, and you know, I don't even. I say it all the time that spirituality is for people who've been to hell. Religion is for people who fear hell. I don't fear hell. We've been there, man. Yeah. We've been there and back. So I, I believe in something that's greater than us. You yeah, know. And I've I've talked to somebody who's had like a crazy near death experience, like to the point where they pronounced him dead and he woke up in the morgue as they were about to put him into the thing. Yeah. And like he said, you know, he remembers all of a sudden he was five years old again and in his mom's room who had passed away also. And he was like 36 at the time. And he, he was talking to her when, you know, she was that age when he was five. That's how he saw her. And she kept saying, what are you doing? You have a bigger purpose than this. You have to go back. You ha- you're you not ready yet. You have a lot of people you need to help. And he came to in the morgue. Yeah, well. You know, that was, you know, that. Yeah, yeah you know, and, you know, at, at least, you know, the important thing is for you that, that know that you could get through that without having to get high. Because it wasn't going to fix anything, obviously. Like, no, shooting I up. I would have died if I would have did it. And I would have did it because I, I used to I used to uh, inject intentionally to do too much because I hated life so much. And I'd hear that voice in my head saying, that's too much. 
and I'd say, fuck you, I don't care. And, uh, and I, I never OD'd that I know of, you know what I mean? Um, I had a lot of heart attacks as a younger, I mean, 20 something, but, um, so you were already having heart attacks in your 20s from using? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 28, I had my first heart attack. It was pretty massive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the vegetation started growing on my, my heart. And um, that, that makes sense then. And then. And I just didn't care. You know, I call God my higher power. So um, God has saved me so many times. You know what I mean? And I shit on him every time. I did. And I know he's got grace and he forgives me and, and he still loves me, but I did every time, every time he would save me, I, I shit on him. I thought, you know, okay, well, it didn't happen this time. So that's one of the reasons I, when I quit, it was because I didn't think I had any more chances, any more times. Not afraid of hell, but afraid of, you know. Not getting that last one that you can apologize for and make up for, and right. yeah, that may- and just be sitting there. And I've always had a fear of dying on the fucking toilet, dude. Me too. Always. That I, was. I never want them to catch me with a fucking needle in my arm sitting in the toilet. See, for me, it was I was on opiates, and opiates make your shit bound, and literally that's how Elvis died because, yeah. you know, he was what trying to think of. Yeah, man, because you know he was, yeah, he was addicted to opiates. And so his shits were the size of softballs. Let's be honest. That's what it was like with an addiction. So, like, my fear all the time, because I'm a big guy, it was like, I every time I had to go to the bathroom, you know, the once a week that you went to the bathroom on opiates, when you force yourself to sit down for three hours to try, right. um, I was afraid that don't die here, don't have a heart attack here. I'd be sweating. You know, it's like, it's gross, yeah. but it's, you know, it's addiction. No, it's true, though. Yeah, it's, no, it is. It's part of it, man. Yeah, I and, that fear was real every single time I sat down. I'm like, I don't want to die today on a toilet like Elvis did, because that's how they're going to remember me. That's, I would sit every morning, I'd get up every morning at 5.30 to head to the refinery, and I'd sit there and I'd take a big swig of vodka out of the freezer. I'd, I'd sit, get ready to take a shower, and I always sat there and, and, and jab myself to uh, that smell by Leonard Skinner. And every time, and, and I wasn't even doing heroin, you know, but it was just that stuck a needle in your arm vein you know or verse that he sang yeah and i did every morning i'd sit there and do that and uh i sat right there on the shitter you know and uh yeah I never so what was the relationship with like your sister like compared to now that you're sober because it sounds like she's being helpful my sister and i didn't have a relationship at all um up until my mom died um and then we just got close. My brother and my my half brother and I, we don't speak at all. He uh, blames me for my brother's death in the in the war. Um, That's confusing. It's because Wait. my brother's wife decided on Thanksgiving Day on, in 2006 to just tell the whole fucking family while we're sitting there that he, she was in love with me. Never. I mean, it was like fucking out of the blue, right? And for real, and yeah. their kids, my kids, all of us are sitting there. My whole family, entire family, and she announces this. She wants to leave. My brother wants to be with me. Never touched the woman in my life. Had nothing to do with her. As a matter of fact, I just despised her. She was a skank. 
excuse the language, but um, yeah, yeah. So my brother took off to the military and to get away from for a while. And we owned a painting company and we couldn't afford insurance. We made good money, but he had too many kids and too, made too much money to get help from the government. And so he went in there and, you know, he went in in, in September and he was dead by June. Cheers. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, man. I mean, you know, they can blame whoever they want. It's everyone blames when they don't want to actually look within themselves to find their part in things. That's what I found. You know, whenever I was being blamed for something, I'm like, you just don't want to hold up the mirror and look at yourself. So you point it elsewhere. He, you he know? Yeah, he's just that kind of guy. He, you know, he doesn't know how to, to grieve correctly, which I don't either. But yeah, he, he his way is to point the finger at somebody and blame somebody for that happening. And then that way he doesn't have to process it, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's what, I, that's, that's what I dealt with at least, you know what I mean? With her family that, you know, my fiance died, like, you know, when they were blaming me was, you know, at first I was taking the blame for one and just diving into my addiction. And after I, you know, got clean and sober and started talking to therapists and realizing like, there's a lot of parts in this and not just me. Yeah. And, you know, it is bigger than me. So I had to remember that. But I'm glad that at least like your sister sees you sober now and you guys have a relationship and, you know, yeah. she's being helpful. And that's awesome because like that's like one of the gifts of sobriety, right, where they talk about that at least like you start getting people back that you wouldn't have got. I doubt she would have been in your life after your mom passed if she would have saw you high at the funeral or something. Uh, uh, no, no, she wouldn't. Have. Her, her husband's a freaking fed. We hate each other with a passion. But, uh, you know, it, it it's. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad because it's. I used to talk to my mom every day. If I didn't talk to her every day, you know, up until that time, right before she died, I'd go see her every day. She only lived like 20 minutes away from me, and because uh, I haven't been able to work for a while, you know. I mean, I I do uh, what's it, consignment artwork, and I used to paint motorcycles, airbrush and stuff. But I can't breathe with a mask now because of my heart. So I'd spend time with her. We'd drink coffee. And, so it's kind of like talking to my mom again. She sounds, yeah. you know what I mean? She sounds like my yeah. mom. She's got some of the demeanor of my mom and she kicks my ass if I need it. And, you know, that's what you need. Yeah. And she's older. Yeah. She's uh, five years older than I am. That's even better this way. It can be like somebody that you're looking up to that, you know, and that's not somebody that's a bad influence not somebody that wants you to do drugs or sell drugs. No. And just wants you in their life now, but being sober. I've cut everybody uh, out of my life um, that uses um, personally, like friendship. Now, I still know a lot of people that I come in contact with, you know, that use, but I'm not on a day to day basis speaking with them. Um, Have you been like laying low because of your heart and COVID and what happened to your mom and COVID? Has that like caused you to lay more low? No, COVID, I don't give a shit about COVID. Um, I, you know, there's whole conspiracy, blah, blah, blah with that. I didn't believe it was real until mom got it, you know. Um, And I had another friend pass away from it um, last week, but uh, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't. I don't watch out for myself because of that. I mean, I I still go places that I didn't go before. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you go to meetings? 
I go, I, I do five Zoom meetings a day. Oh, I shit. A, we have shit person meetings here. Just yeah. But I, yeah, my last Zoom meeting is at 2 a.m. my time. It's a, a UK meeting that I go to, you know. I first went because I was picking up, trying to pick up chicks, but it uh, actually became like, you know, a cool group. But I go to the, I go to the 24-7 group a lot. And then, uh, yeah, I got one home group and then three, you know, five a day. It seems like the Zoom then probably really helpful since like, because that Zoom meetings did not exist before COVID. I'll tell you that right now. That would have been a really against traditions to do a meeting on Zoom before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, but I think that's awesome that like since you're in the middle of nowhere, because like I've I've been sober in L.A. where I could hit, you know, five, six meetings in a day easy. Like there was a weekend span where I hit 20 and like in two and a half days because there were so many available. But, you know, and I came back to the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. There's like five a week. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Zoom's Zoom's cool. I like it. You know, it's. Uh, I don't know. I don't I go to a couple different I mean I do different it's not just NA you know I do CMA and uh, NA and then I I'll hit an AA too you know it doesn't matter no it really doesn't especially CMA and because like I've been to the CMA meeting just out of support in LA and it's basically the same as AA except for they just changed the word alcohol to crystal meth. I mean same as like I've been to yeah, I've been to CA meetings, and they use the big book at CA meetings at the Cocaine Anonymous. That's mm -hmm. what they use is the big book. Yeah. So I think NA is the only one that's a little bit – I feel like it's more intense. I feel like it's more intensive, NA. Yeah. But in a good way. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, you failed at AA, so you need NA now. <laughs> well, uh, they, you know, that, the only – NA says, hey, we can't just be labeled alcoholics. We're more than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, they want to take ownership of those shit is what it is. And I agreed with that because, like, I didn't like in AA that there was AA where I could talk about anything. And then there was AA in conservative area where they're like, you got to say alcohol, not pills, you know. And <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah, like, that's, yeah. it's like, I'm trying to be honest. Right. And I don't want to have to, you know, part of my story is I drove two hours to get high four times a week. Like, I drove two hours each way to pick up pills and then drive back. So, you know, you want me to sit here and share about, like, driving two hours to buy alcohol because I couldn't find any alcohol locally? You kidding me? It's going to sound so disingenuous. I'm going to sound like an asshole. Like, no, I don't want to. No, I'm not going to talk like that. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. You got to share the truth, you know. And for, for me, I do. You know, I have to be honest, you know, because I was so manipulative, you know, in my addiction. And, you know, when you're functioning, you're you're hiding it from yourself. You're hiding it from everybody else. You're trying to even mask things to yourself to justify, you know, people yeah. call it justification, but you can call it masking, you can call it whatever. But you're telling yourself all these things and make yourself feel better about what you're doing on a day to day basis and giving yourself excuses. Yeah. So. Now that I'm sober, I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to be as honest and raw as possible. And if you don't like that, then we're not going to be able to hang out or be friends. And that is what it is. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I think uh, the reason I'm so I, I'm honest about it is because society has a viewpoint of what we are. And in fact, they have no fucking clue. The doctors don't know. The, the scientists don't know. None of them know. The thing is, is. They have society's viewpoint of what an addict is, and 
what why we did it, why we're doing it, why we chose it. It irritates the shit out of me. So I will share it to anybody because the only way it's ever going to change is if we start changing it. Yeah. That's why I opened my own meeting center. You know, I wanted it to be bigger than AA or NA. Not bigger than them. You know, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, more inclusive. Right. Like, we do mental health check-ins. That's right. And, you know, we do it twice a day, 9 a.m. and 8 p.m. My wife runs a meditation meeting at 10.15, and then we do a specialized different meeting every day at 6.30. You know, whether it's a trauma meeting, whether it's a chronic illness, my wife has MS, so we do a chronic illness meeting, a meeting all around opiates, harm reduction, all that kind of shit. Just a different meeting every night at 6.30. But the mental health check-ins are important because they're for anybody, whether you're an addict, alcoholic, you're in recovery, you're still in addiction, you're have anxiety, depression, trauma, come and talk about your day and we'll figure it out. Right. You know, like crosstalk, just like open forum. That's awesome. You know, people don't... The, the, the truth of the matter is, is I always say that addiction is based on two things, a lack of love. Somewhere we felt a lack of love and we lost it somewhere. So we tried to fill that void and trauma, you know, trauma. I, I know people who have, I know a girl who was spanked one time by her dad, one time, and it traumatized her so badly that she fucking is one of the worst dope heads I've ever known. And that's truth. Now, other shit happened later. Yeah. But, you know. Um, no, I agree with that. And some people don't even know they went through trauma until they're explained what trauma is. There was, you know, a guy was coming here supporting his girlfriend, you know, and then he was sitting down listening. And then I saw him like have an epiphany like, oh, shit, I did have trauma. That was traumatic. That I shouldn't have gone. That wasn't a normal thing that I've gone through. Right. You know, and, you know, we we got to talk about it, you know, a lot of things where people don't realize, especially guys. Yeah, especially men that come in unless, here, unless it's unless it's a major freaking impact like mine or what, you know, I don't yeah. mean that. Mine's no, 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 but you're right. But yeah, you, subtle things. They don't even look at it because we're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to hold that shit in, you know. Yeah, don't cry. You're a pussy. Right. You know. And now it feels good. Yeah. Now, now I welcome it. Now I welcome those feelings because it knows I know that I'm feeling something that I wasn't able to feel before. You know, now I feel like it's a good thing. You know, we do LGBTQ meetings on Thursdays and we'd open up for youth because 70% of homeless youth are LGBTQ and suicide rates are alarming for them. So, but it's been really sporadic the last few months since we opened like, you know, a youth here, a youth there. And then last night there was like a whole gang of them, but they all came separately and then they all found each other. And it was like beautiful because they were all so happy that they were being accepted right off the bat for who they are. And like, we were like, we were like crying, sobbing. We were so happy that people got to come and find each other and find happiness because you said earlier, happy, you don't feel happy, but I don't think happiness is a feeling. I think it's like something we can't control. You know, you can wake up and you can choose to be happy. You can wake up and find reasons, perspective to be happy as opposed to wake up and find reasons your day's going to suck. Then you walk around with that attitude. So yeah, I'd be grateful for something. Yeah. If you look for it. Yeah. You know, gratitude's funny because I didn't even know that was a real word people used outside of Thanksgiving until I got sober. Right. 
don't know about you, but people weren't throwing around gratitude and grateful and, and addiction. Yeah, that's true. No, I never heard that word either. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we got to sit down and talk for a little bit. I'm not going to keep you on for too long. Just, you know, I don't want you talking too long, but yeah. either way, I'm glad we got to sit down and talk for a little bit, man, because, you know, yeah. your story should be told. You're not the only one. You know, you're definitely not alone. And the more we get things out there and more people know that they're not alone, I think it's easier for people to accept when they know they're not by themselves. Yeah, that's and that's why I think when I started writing, that's what I found, you know, um, that I could make a difference and that I uh, I'm not alone. You know, I knew there's a bunch of people out there that said they were addicts and they were alcoholics. And, you know, I've seen some like my stepdad was clean for 38 years, but. I really don't know anybody clean now, um, personally, except for like five people and they're all old, you know, and uh, I always tell everybody, you know, the norms that I tell them, the only difference between them and us or, you know, them and me is I went to the same party they did. I tried the same thing they did. The difference is I liked it and I kept saying, let's get more and they were able to stop. I just got caught up because of my disease you know and they didn't yeah it's you know the addiction is not even substances it's more it's so it's, much more it's it, well it's it's literally sometimes the word more more of whatever it is in front of you yeah you know like they're you're not it's filling the void enough yeah i could i could get addicted to freaking toe jam if it was i mean seriously i get yeah. addicted to anything i thank god i never gambled because i would have definitely spent all my money there you know I can tell you, it's, yeah, even that one, it, yep, <laughs> personal experience, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, either way, you know, it's, the, the good thing is that you know to talk about it, you're not holding it in anymore, you're not, you know, keeping secrets, because that, that shit will kill you a lot faster than your heart will, Yeah. or at least it will definitely help, you know, yeah. and true. I definitely think, you know, this last year, you wouldn't even be sitting here if you were still shooting up every day. No, no, I that shit. Yeah, that shit would have taken you by now, oh, you know. Yeah. So yeah. while you have a breath, keep using that, man, because, like, people are going to benefit from it. So, like, I appreciate you sitting down and talking for an hour. You know, it'll be on YouTube sometime next week. I'll, I'll shoot you a message before it goes up. Um, but, yeah, I, I appreciate you sitting down. I appreciate how raw you are and how real, you know, because it's not easy to talk about all that, you know. But it does get easier to talk about, and it does – it is therapeutic to talk about. Yeah, I after I, I mean this I have done podcasts before, and uh, I always feel emotion. I mean I feel like tired as all get out when I'm done. You know? Yeah. So, but I appreciate you uh, you letting me be on your guest. You know. No, I I appreciate it, man, and like everyone you know should hear the story. So it's important, and it's important to me to put these stories out there. I that's agree. why that's why I'm doing one every day this month to celebrate Recovery Month, man. Like it's. <laughs> 10th day and 10 already out 20 to go and you're going to be one of them cool, so appreciate. yeah i really i i recorded mine earlier mine will be out on the 29th um on my birthday i'm going to release mine oh, so cool. yeah you know but i have a bunch of good ones coming up and you know i i just love hearing all these different stories because this is how i stay sober right you know i talk to a lot of people that come in here but you know i talk to a couple addicts and alcoholics but it's mostly mental health that i'm talking to 
and talking to other addicts is really my bread and butter of me understanding somebody and somebody understanding me. I feel like I scare people sometimes in the mental yeah. health meetings. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about some shit I used to do. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, what? You know, it's like, imagine some normies at an AA meeting. They're like, you know, breaking their neck. Like, is he serious? Right. You know, but, you know, because I like to be raw because I, you know, I want to be honest. That's important. Well, we're gonna get, that's the only way people are going to really know. You know? Yeah, and and feel it, and, and they I, feel your words. I'm always telling people, share your fucking story, share it. I said because somebody out there needs to hear it to live, and other people need to hear it so they know. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. I appreciate it again, and I'll, I'll shoot you a message when you're going up there. Okay, well, shoot all me right. a message with uh, just with your information, and that way I can look at all of it. Oh yeah, yeah. When I yeah, when I hang up in a little bit, I'll send you over like a link. Will take you to either watch it on YouTube or okay. listen on Spotify or Apple, whatever you want to do. Okay. Um, but like the YouTube channel has been, it gets a lot more hits than listening. So I do put it up on YouTube, and there's been a bunch of good ones. Um, I'm trying to think of the one uh, Kelly. They want a guy named Kelly. He's 53, and okay. the first drug he ever did, he got shot up with crank by his tattoo artist at 16. That's you know, right. yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you're going. He ran away from home at 16. He was all into punk rock and being in punk and shit, you know, and then just got into drugs at an early age. So and gangs and bikers. So I'm pretty sure you'll like the Kelly interview from a couple of days ago. He just got clean yeah. like last year himself, too, in Vegas. Right. So, yeah, that's that's I'll I'll even just send you over that link too. this way. You can find it easier. That's the one that I think you'll get the most like from for relating to somebody yeah for sure okay. but all right all right buddy i'll send you that information have a good day man all right see you bye-bye